Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. So, in my position as a coach, I always am hearing from companies about millennials, millennials this, millennials that. And it always strikes me like, why do you have so much fear of this group of people coming up? And there's this sense of, well, we don't know how to give them what they want. You know, I thought, why don't we just go straight to the source? So today we are going to be talking with three young professionals and discussing what do they want out of the future? What do they want from their companies? What do they want from their leaders? What do they want for their careers? And we're also going to talk about what they don't want. So this conversation for me was, A, like just incredible. I really enjoy being um, with people that are, have different perspectives and who can stretch me. And that's what I really felt happened here. But two, it just taught me so much about what an incredible opportunity we have as leaders and business professionals to dismiss the fear that we can have of younger generations and instead engage our curiosity. So everybody tuck in and get ready for a great conversation on One Step Beyond. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with three really incredible people, and I'm very thankful to have them with us today. We're going to be discussing what do young professionals want for the future? So what do they want from their companies? What do they want from their leaders? What do they want for their careers? What do they want for the world? We're also going to talk about what they don't want. We're going to identify a few things that we can say, hey, it's time to let these things go. And who can say, maybe we're going to propose some solutions. So with that, um, we've got these three people. I'm going to have each of them introduce themselves and tell us a bit about who they are and what they do. And I would like to start with Steph. Hey, Aram. Um, So my name is Stephanie Urich, and I'm a visual designer who specializes in financial technology uh, based out of Vancouver, BC. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Nikki. Hi, my name is Nikki McKechnie. I am the Director of Corporate Communications for a mining exploration company called Talisker Resources. And our properties are actually exploring gold in British Columbia. Oh, okay, right on. And uh, Logan. Here I am. My name is Logan Madden. I'm a specialist with Beck and Dickinson, uh, or BD, as you may know it. Um, I'm also, in addition to that, a field sales trainer for our new hires and part of our leadership development program. Okay, awesome. So this is a really cool mix of people because we've got different industries, you know, different ages. We've got a good, uh, I believe, a healthy gender mix. We come from different backgrounds. So this is like the value, I think, of these kinds of conversations is usually this is done in a corporate setting. Like maybe they send out a survey like, oh, what do you want? Or, you know, you sit in this boardroom of people who literally are paying your salary and are saying like, how do you want us to change? But you know, (laughs) there might be a cost to saying something. I really hope that in this conversation, as much as all of you are comfortable, we can really get into into um, where we go with the the future, what we can do. So with that, I'm going to start asking some questions. And when I ask a question, I'm just going to pitch it to someone. And then, you know, 
answer as you feel comfortable and then everyone can add on from there. So I'll just pick one person to start with so that we can avoid any kind of awkward silences, but everyone can feel free to answer it however they'd like uh, after the initial person starts. Does that work for everyone? Yeah. Perfect. All right. So we're going to start with a big, huge one and I'm going to throw this over to you, Nikki. Um, <laughs> what are you looking for out of the future of your career? Like, what do you want? I'm looking to be a trailblazer with the the company that I'm working for currently because I'm seeing a huge divide in what has been done in the past and what isn't being done in the future. So what I part of what I've been doing is developing a system and putting it in place for mining companies because it's a very old school mentality. It's very old school, old world, old boys club sort of thing and just trying to kind of make way with with changing that and the perception of how investor relations and marketing and communication is kind of done moving forward. So I think I'm, uh, you know, kind of making my own path and, and creating that and how things are, are going to change in the future. So, okay. yeah. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Steph? Um, also, that's a big one for sure. <laughs> I think for me, really speaking just kind of from like a personal holistic sense, like I'm just looking for something uh, for my career. So that's something that is engaging and really fulfilling. So part of what I really have the luxury with when it works with, um, with being in the tech industry is that there's so many different ways that people are innovating and creating new um, programs, applications, and sorts of services that can really help a wide variety of people. And you have the options of choosing, um, things that like, if you want like something a little more fulfilling or something a little more like fun and engaging. And I love that I have the opportunity to kind of choose whichever I want. Um, but personally, I want to do things that are more fulfilling and less, um, less to do with like, how much money can I make at the end of the day, which I feel like a lot of like, that is most of my peers end goal is how much money can I make so that I can get a bigger condo and stuff. I want something that like when I go into work, like I'm legitimately psyched to go into work and I'm psyched to be with my coworkers and excited to work with the product that I'm working with. Nice. Okay, cool. How about you, Logan? So yeah, I have a, a loose framework of what I want to accomplish in my career and, and how I want to get there. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm mostly wide open, right? I, there's within that framework, there's a checklist of things that are important to me, you know, work-life balance. Um, I want to, challenged by the role that I'm in or I'm going to lose interest. I want to believe in the company that I work for. Um, but other than that, I'm open. And, you know, and, and to clarify that further is I've always rejected this idea that you need to be prepared to answer at all times when, when a hiring manager or a leader asks you, what's your next move going to be, you know, down to the specific job title. And, and I reject that because I think it's, it's, it's an archaic way of thinking. Um, I want to keep my options open. You know, I, I, I'm on the show because I'm a young professional, right? I don't want to place limits on my future by, by stating something. Um, I'd rather leverage that future. You know, because I've, I've had an answer to that question in the past early on in my career. And you know what happened six months later? The answer was completely different. You know, whether that was through a conversation with a mentor or a new insight or just life experience. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Um, it's funny that you say that, man, because like so often I have older leaders say to me, it's like, oh, you know, like the issue with the young professionals is like, they don't know what they want. It's like, man, I didn't even know what I wanted like 
five years ago. You know, I don't know if I want to even know what I want for lunch yet. Like you got to figure out as you go along. I think that's, it's really interesting that you say that because I, I, I have such a huge stance on that. I think from such a young age, you're always, you know, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Who, where do you want to go in life? And I think, you know, from, from the start of my career, like, you know, to where I am now, it's like, it's, I've gone in a completely different direction. Not to say that I, I never thought that I would be here and I don't know where I'm going, but I like the direction I'm going in. So it's just when you're, when you're made to choose what you want to do at the age of 16, talking about post-secondary, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a lawyer. It's, you don't, you're not given that much option. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see how people's careers evolve when, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were a lawyer, you're loyal for life. That's what you're doing. You're committing to that. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to hear you guys say that as well. So. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Steph? Oh man. Uh, I think it's funny because I feel like people ask that question, wanting you to have a hundred percent certainty and a clear direction in a direction that best suits them. And it feels kind of like a double-edged sword because it's like, I want to hear your plan for growth, but I want it to be growth for me, not necessarily for you. Um, and like, <laughs> again, like, I, I find that in the, in the tech industry, you know, like there's a lot of competition. There's a, your eyes kind of go in every direction because someone's always trying to offer you something else. So they really they want you to grow, but they want you to also stagnate with them without offering more to you. I have found personally. Okay. You know, and so out of all the things that all of you want for your careers, what barriers are there? And that could be like industry specific. It could be just what you've experienced in your life. It could be based on society. Like what are the barriers? And I'm going to give you an example on my end that, that was a barrier when I was coming up. Um, when I was coming up, having a lot of tattoos was a barrier. And I, you know, like, I remember getting my first tattoos and people being like, oh my God, you're, you're never going to work again. And I was lucky that, you know, that changed in the time. But I mean, that's kind of just got a funny arbitrary one, but there are like serious barriers um, to different types of people and different types of roles, uh, different ideas that we have. So if you think about the answer that you just gave, what are the barriers? And I'll just throw that to anyone. Barriers. So yes, my, my industry, medical device sales is notorious for barriers. And, and what I mean by that is if you go on LinkedIn right now, you'll find countless job postings for entry-level uh, medical sales positions. And they'll read something like this. Uh, entry-level position available at a great company, three to five years healthcare experience required. And it's like for someone to break in the industry, that is both daunting and comical. It's like, how, how am I going to get an entry-level position if you won't hire me to get the experience. So, you know, with, with, with my experience personally, I got really lucky that a hiring manager, you know, saw something in me uh, to take a chance on me when I didn't have any experience. And, and at the time I was hired, I was actually the youngest person in our organization. Hmm. So, but yeah, there are a lot of barriers in the medical device industry. You know, it's, it's funny you say that Logan, cause um, you know, for the audience, the way that I know Logan is that we were, I was doing a training session in BD and Logan stood out as being so like plugged in, really wanting to learn more instead of just being someone who was filling a seat and has maintained our relationship going forward because he's super really interested in developing and growth. And I found that to be such a someone who's fully in the seat. And it's like, no, 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 like I'm serious about this. I want to I want to learn. And 
I'm not saying it's like I don't come across people like that, but someone like the idea that like I don't need to know where I want to be exactly from five years, but I do know that I want each step to be filled with learning. And that's what's really stood out to me about our interactions, which has been really cool. Um, so, uh, Steph and Nikki, what about the two of you barriers? Like when you're talking, you were talking about what you want out of your careers, you know, Steph, you'd saying like, I just want it to be fulfilling. Like I want to do things that like really fill up my cup. And then Nikki, you were, I, I love the boldness of what you said. Like, I want to be a trailblazer. What are the barriers? What's standing out for you? Well, I think for me, uh, you know, just to give you a little bit of insight to who I am and where I've come from, like. I only went to post-secondary for one year of like a business administration sort of aspect. And then I went traveling for a little while. I moved out to, to Calgary and worked at Lake Louise. And I came back and I went into a, a, like a family industry and just kind of went from there and was feeling a little bit lost. So um, I think education is a big thing. And I think people think that to get where you to be successful and to make six figures or to make a certain salary, you have to have an undergrad or, or a bachelor's degree in something. And, and fortunately for me, me being who I am has gotten me where, where I am now, which is, you know, I'm in a very great role with, I'm an, I'm an executive. And I think people are, they're misunderstood as to, you know, post-secondary means you're going to get a great career. And that's not necessarily what it is. I think a lot of experience comes from, you know, falling on your feet and learning and growing from that and moving forward and figuring out where you want to be and what you want to do. I think it's sometimes people don't sit and actually question what they want. Like I, I left, I was 22. I left a, a company that was a well-paying job to work at a, a restaurant because I didn't like where I was going. And then from there, I then applied to another job and, and got in with a, a company, a corporation. So I think so many times people see a posting on LinkedIn or they see a, a job where, you know, as Logan said, you know, five years experience. And it's just, you got to, you got to take that leap. You've got to almost put yourself out there and just say, you know, Hey, I've got this. I've got everything that you, you're looking for and need. I've got the personality and I'm just going to do it. So mm -hmm. I, I talk to friends like, Oh, I'm not qualified for that. It's like, I can, I honestly say this to people I'm like, I, you can't train personality no matter what if you don't have the right attitude or the right personality then you're not going to go anywhere but if you have that that bold personality and that very courageous sort of thing i could train anybody to do my job if you have the right mentality to do it and i think that's that's really what i enforce in people i left um, a tech job and the girl who who took over my position she she was a server and i think there's this huge misunderstanding that education means everything. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that. So, yeah. You know, it was hilarious. Cause like Steph and I are both like nodding our heads, like parents, yeah. like, it was like losing our minds here because, yeah. you know, in the punk, we both come from the punk scene and it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, like whatever I, it, education or not, I can do that if I've set my mind to it. So Steph, what are your, your, your thoughts on that? Cause I saw you were like very energetic about that. Oh. Well, yeah, I, I Everything that she says, like, I feel to like my core. So mm -hmm. speaking from like my like personal experiences, like, you know, I come from a super poor family. Like my brother and I were the first people in our families to graduate high school, mm -hmm. let alone even get something remotely close to post-secondary education. Like I only have a diploma. All of my skill sets that I've learned have been like from my personal drive to want to understand something better. So 
you know, I learned how to use things like Photoshop because I wanted to learn how to make band t-shirts. I learned how to use InDesign because I wanted to learn how to make zines for like kids who didn't understand how to, you know, use an instrument. Like these were all things that I learned on my own, through my own like tenacity. And what's funny is that I'll apply for jobs and I will be immediately disqualified because I don't have a degree. But at the same time, the level of experience that I have, I would say is something you can't be taught in school. You know, um, speaking from a design perspective, like there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of practical application to like learning certain design principles and stuff. But like, you could be the greatest designer in the world, but if you're horrible with problem solving, like it doesn't mean anything. If you're a bad listener, it doesn't mean anything. If you are somebody who is a bad team player and you don't know how to solve with your peers to work towards a goal while lifting each other up. Like to me, I think that your degree from wherever from is kind of useless. And mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of have people in like hiring communities understand that because I think they're like, nope, this is the only way it has to be. Degree, five years of all these creative suites, like it's that or bust and nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually a really funny thing uh, that was going around LinkedIn specifically for the design community where an HR person put in that uh, in order to qualify for this position, the ideal candidate needs to have five years of experience with this program, but that program has only existed for two years. <laughs> <laughs> that was not so like, like, it's, it's like the, it, I don't know. To me, the barrier is just like, sometimes you guys really don't have a holistic understanding. Like you have your wish list that's based on, I think, a really old, archaic way of thinking how everything has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, that is hilarious and also a bit nightmarish. <laughs> like, I can't believe a company put that out there. And well, like I'm also sadly not surprised. So I want to hit on this piece about, about education. I find it really interesting. So in my work as a, an executive coach, what I have found is at really senior levels, like let's say a C-suite level. So it's like older generations typically. Um, there's always not always a huge amount of education. It could be a bachelor's degree. It could be a master's degree, but also it could be none of the, none of the above. And it's kind of like a generation where maybe degrees and, and all that didn't matter as much, but then a step down all the way from kind of very senior management all the way down to like, let's say mid-level management, there seems to be tons of MBAs, like a, just a glut of MBAs and like that expectation that's like, oh, it's really important we have this. So these would be people maybe in there around my age, you know, let's say like mid forties to um, let's say mid thirties. And it's like, oh, education's super important. And I find it interesting because it seems to be at like the most senior levels in the C-suite. It's like, no, we didn't need that. We just, we just needed to figure out, you know, we just needed to work hard and we got there. But then suddenly there was this sea change where it's like education, you've got to have people with advanced degrees. And I can see some industries why that would be like, so for example, uh, when I was working as a therapist, I can understand why they want people who have like more advanced education, who are working with very vulnerable um, populations. But I also know a lot of incredible therapists who didn't have advanced degrees, who I could say were better than people who had PhDs. So I don't think it's the key, but one thing, advanced education is the key, but something that I've noticed, it seems to be kind of like generationally specific about whether or not education matters that much. And I'm wondering from your perspective, like, are we on that cusp of people being like, eh, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have a master's or a bachelor or any degree at all. Like what, I'll throw that out to everyone. What do you guys think as a group? I'll, uh, I'll start if y'all don't mind. Um, 
a hundred percent or am i'm going to take kind of a punk rock position on this so i think you know a higher education when you talk about higher education it's going to become increasingly less important as we go forward um, now i'm admittedly ignorant to higher education in canada but in, in the united states it's just so broken in my opinion um and a lot of that's to the fault of their own you know they were their own demise um, but that's a topic for a whole nother show okay. but couple that you know with the fact that we're in the information age right now right um, you could literally go on YouTube today and get a college education for free. Um, and that's today right now. So what's going to be available 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Um, and then I think the other interesting thing to see play out is if, if you talk about millennials, you know, coming out of college, just saddled with student loan debt, at least in the United States, um, are they going to, when they get to that, that C-suite or they're the hiring manager, are they going to hold a grudge, you know, against the, the higher education system that saddled them with that debt? or there are the financial institutions as well. Are they going to value it as much? I don't think so. You know, I could see, I could see brick and mortar universities, you know, being impacted like shopping malls to online shopping or newspapers to digital media. I just think they're going to become, you know, they'll never go away, but I, I think that I, I see with my generation it becoming less and less important. Hmm. Uh, Steph or Nikki. Yeah. Um, I really resonate with that because like to add on to that specific for my industry, like what you like a degree is about approximately four years uh, in my industry and in technology, a lot changes in a year, a lot mm. changes in six months. So to go into, if you were to go into tech, there are principles obviously that you like need to learn, but at the rate that everything's moving, like I think it's impossible to say that the system that's worked, you know, 50 years ago is applicable to today. And on top of that, you know, I think it's also just like, it's an accessibility thing. Like, do you really want to be shutting out every candidate who, you know, people like me, we don't have the luxury of getting degrees. I don't have the luxury of getting a degree because I don't want to be saddled with 40, 50, $60,000 in debt. I love education, but it's just not something that's for me. And I think to shut people out who have a desire to learn in the non-traditional ways is I kind of shooting yourself on the foot. Like you're really limiting yourself to a huge talent pool, especially a talent pool of people who are self-driven and tenacious by their own drive, not by what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really I, like that. Nikki. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think where, I think where employers need to really improve is the continuing education aspect of it. Because you know, I, I'm just going to say I'm uh, I'm recently enrolled in an online program because my employer is is helping me continue my education. And it's only at this stage where I'm kind of like, yeah, that's what I want to take. And I think that's where employers need to be better and just saying, OK, well, hey, you know, what are you what are you feeling the gaps are? Are you how do you feel about this job? And and like Steph said, she's in tech. I used to work in tech. You can become outdated in three months if you're if you're out of it. You need to help employ and and embrace your employees needs and kind of continue that and it doesn't have to be an expensive sort of ordeal where you don't have to go back and do you know you know a total bachelor's degree but you know just take a course here and there that's going to help embrace your, your your staff members and i think that builds staff appreciation and it's just it makes your company a little bit better so that's that's mm -hmm. my stance on that so mm -hmm. i'd like to add to that so it's really interesting what both of you are bringing up and, and it's stemming off this point that Logan brought up as well. So let, let's talk about education. 
does the system, so let's say the, the business that you work in, does it actually always know what education that people need? So for example, like someone who's out in the front lines, who's like, oh, here's the gap that I see here. And this is what I need to learn. And then they go to their boss and be like, hey, can I get some training for that? And the company goes, no, we don't pay for that. Like, does the system know what the people need in terms of how they need to be educated or what they need to be educated on, how do they need to be educated? So I'll throw that out for everyone. I think, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that on. Um, I think the company that I'm working with right now is, is very good in the sense of, you know, if you want to continue on, you, I have the opportunity as long as it pertains to my job, but there's an aspect of like doing business and, and other things. Whereas we have a lot of geologists who obviously have to have that level of education, but if they went behind, you know, we have a geologist, geologist who wants to kind of branch out into business. Absolutely. But I don't think every employer is keen on education. I think, I think sometimes employers think it's a threat. I think they think that if they educate their staff, that they're like, oh, well, they're going to leave. And I think that really touches on the whole millennial aspect of it because a lot of employers are like, oh, well, millennials jump jobs all the time. And they're, you know, so if, if we embrace them to learn, they're going to leave us and they're going to go on and be better. And it's just, it's this very, like we kind of talked about earlier, it's this very old school mentality of like, you know, just because you're working for a company doesn't mean you have to be there for 20 years. But I think there's this, this huge gap with companies not wanting to pay for things. Because, you know, there's 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 big corporations that have this rule where if you if you if they pay for your schooling, you owe them five to 10 years of your career, Mm -hmm. whether you're happy or you're you're whatever or or there's consequences. And I just think that's such an archaic way of looking at continuing education and considering the fact, especially with COVID now, everything's online, you know, there's so many online courses that you can take and you can embrace and what Logan was saying, you can go on Google, you can, you can do whatever, but it's just, I think there's these old school ways that are still so much in place in our, in our industries and it's, you know, tech, you know, all of them. So it's just, I think they need to kind of branch out on how they approach that, that continuing education. Mm. Um, all right. So I've got a, a question. It's sta- Steph, it's based off something you'd said earlier, like this best and like, we want to get the best and brightest. Yeah. Okay. When was the last time here, anyone here worked with someone professionally within the, the your work world with someone from the trans community? I worked at a company, um, last, my, my, not my last job, but the job prior, mm-hmm. uh, I had one person there was one person out of a company of, I want to say 300 internationally. Mm-hmm. That was a trans person. Okay. So as soon as I asked the question, we all were like, Ooh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't imagine. Like, I can't think of that. And I always kind of laugh about this idea of the best and brightest because the best and brightest is such currently the corporate world and the business world is pulling from such a small amount of people because there's, just not strong diversity and inclusion. Like the, there's the idea of what diversity and inclusion could be, but it's not there. And I, I the reason I go to, to people from the trans community, because like, I feel it's for me, it's been the most, the, my, and again, this is like I, my limited understanding is I have found that to be the least represented uh, group of people in the business world that I, I have not yet uh, had an opportunity to, to work with or coach someone from that community. So with that in mind, 
If we are thinking about the best and brightest, how do we actually help our organizations get there? Any thoughts from the three of you about like what can companies do for the, to build towards a future where we can have real inclusivity, where we can actually get the best and brightest from like 100% of the population instead of this teeny little part of the population? Any thoughts? Ooh, that's a heavy one. <laughs> can I, can I, I go for it? Oh, please, please. Okay. I'm thinking of one place that I worked at in particular, and I'm not going to say where it is, but there was such an adversity from the higher levels of management to actually fully engage and resonate with what needed to be done. So it's funny because this one particular place that I worked at, we had so many seminars and workshops and talks about inclusivity, about, um, you know, workplace bullying, about, um, you know, deconstructing these norms that we have, why it's not okay to be like transphobic, homophobic, racist in the workplace. And without fail, I knew I had heard every level of the C-suite. I have heard every level of management say something homophobic, racist, super sexist, super out of line, very candidly and very cavalier because they knew they could get away with it because they were never held accountable for the things that they had done. And they were only ever held accountable when they can no longer contain the problem where it was too visible. So for me, a chronic issue that I see with management is a lack of accountability. There is so much pressure on me and my peers to be accountable and I wanna be accountable and I want to know the areas that I can improve on to strive to be better. And that is just hammered into us from the get go. And management gets a free pass every single time without fail. And that was a chronic issue at my last place. So one of the big things I would say is there needs to be a level of accountability. And I'm not talking about like punishing people and like casting them out, but I'm holding them to the standard that we expect people to be at because so long as those people stay in those positions being like, yeah, 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 I'm not transphobic, but let me say this super out of line joke and nobody says anything. It's never going to change. It's not. And it has to start at them. It can't always be the people at the bottom line. Well, you know, it's funny because it's like when you talk about, oh, it's not funny, but it's ironic that this like, we're super into this. We've got these initiatives, but it starts with all the newest employees or the youngest generations. And like, by the time you guys get up here, then the change will happen. But like, it doesn't start with us. We, we can't change anything. Of course, those aren't the optics, but like that often is the practical reality. I have a story I won't take up time here, but I'm happy to tell all of you later where you'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. So Nikki, I saw you having a big, big reaction as Steph was, <laughs> was talking. What, what are your thoughts? I definitely do because, you know, the, like, the company I work for now, we, it, it's a new company. And one of the first things that we did was we, we wrote up initiatives and how we want our, our company to 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 run and that's what i really admire about my my current employer but previous employers it's exactly what steph said it's just you know everybody gets a free pass or it's like oh you know they kind of look both ways and they're like oh i've got a funny joke and it's just it's not it's it's there's never any accountability and and from my previous experience it isn't even just the top tier it's you know um sometimes when people have friends that work in the company and it's just it's, you know, writing people up and holding them accountable for the things that they say. And it's just, it's not even, you know, with trans, with, with racism, with feminism, you know, especially being a female, um, having been in a, in a tech industry, like 
I grew up with my dad always embracing the fact like I'm a female, I'm strong, grew up with brothers, grew up with all male cousins. I never felt like a disadvantage or anything. But when you get out into the like the the business world, you realize that you're not at you're not playing at the same at the same level as everybody else sometimes. And that's just my own personal experience being being female and you're just kind of like, "Whoa, hold on, what's going on here?" and it kind of, you, you, you take a step back because at first I didn't even realize what was happening. So mm. it's, it's like Seth said, it's holding people accountable and, you know, using your voice whenever you feel like something's, something's wrong. Because I think so much too, people who are lower on the totem pole, if somebody C-level is saying something that makes you feel uncomfortable, people in the past have reported things and then they're the ones that are the problem. They're the ones that are, that are oh oh she's just she's just trying to cause problems she's just trying to or you know he he's complaining about this person and it's just like oh well that person's related to this guy and they're never going anywhere so then people just start being quiet and not saying things and then and then it's just okay so you know I, I think I think any company who now is getting called out for previous behaviors in the workplace now absolutely deserves what they're getting because for so long I think there's so many employees that that feel like they don't even have a voice and they're not allowed to speak what they feel because those feelings have been repressed. So it's just, I think people have gotten away with things for far too long because people are afraid of losing their jobs and people should never be afraid of losing their jobs for sticking up for, for human rights. Right. So I, you know, Steph, I saw some big reactions from you uh, in that. Is there anything you want to share there? Oh boy. Uh, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I just, it, it, it bumps me out so much because this goes back to being like, you want people to grow and you want, like, you want your company to succeed and you guys ultimately all want to work towards the same goal, whatever your metrics of success are. And it's just, it's astounding to me that these people who have so much more experience than me, so much more education than me, has so much more accessibility and like, just, you know, general experience to all these things cannot recognize that that sort of like rampant kind of disregard and like, you know, I can do what I want and, um, you know, nothing can touch me. Like that's a huge demotivator for a lot of people at the bottom level. And I feel like that's a big reason why a lot of companies have a hard time retaining good talent and why a lot of good talent is being hemorrhaged. And it's just because it's like, I see this and I'm like, why am I going to stay here? Why am I going to listen to you guys do another workshop about why racism is not okay when I know that, you know, your CFO is going to say something super out of pocket and out of line and like, act like I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, so Logan, we, don't, I'm we don't leave because we're millennials. We leave because we feel uncomfortable in certain workspaces. Okay. I love that you just said that because is there something that kind of drives me a little nutty? It's like, you know, millennials millennials like oh millennials and like i'm clearly not a millennial i'm you know I'm, uh, I, I'm in my 40s but you know i was dealing with this person one day and in their their signature they refer to themselves as the millennial whisperer and i just cringed on the deepest of levels like it was one of those just like i don't feel that the what i'm seeing from like what would refer to as millennials just seems like people who just have like a like a more firm expectation of what a healthy culture within a company would look like and expect companies to live up to that 
that doesn't seem to me to be anything that requires a like a millennial whisperer or something like that. Mm -hmm. More so just you should just have healthy practices within a business. Um, so Logan, I got a question for you and, and I am putting you a little on the spot. So please don't feel like you have to have like some magic bullet answer, but sure. there's two things that I've been hearing. I've heard both from Nikki and from Steph, which is, Hey, you know, it's a real issue that these things exist. And if people say anything, they often have to pay a price or there's potential for them to pay the price. But then there's a second side where people who have been uh, marginalized or, um, who let's say in Nikki's case, she kind of grew up, grew up feeling like really supported and, and didn't feel that there was a disadvantage uh, based on gender to enter into the work world and suddenly realize, oh gosh, like actually I am being treated this way. So very often, not just in the corporate world, but in society, there is a, an expectation that the people who are being marginalized, that they have to do the work so that they aren't marginalized. Like it's them who are actually doing the push, this extra so they're getting this double tap of they're having the experience and then we're looking to them to lead us out of it. So you and I, we're both, you know, like um, straight white males, you know, cis white males. What can we do to help change that in the future so that the people who are marginalized and who haven't had these negative experiences also aren't put in the position where they have to be the ones to, to solve it? Yeah, I don't know that there's a simple answer to that around, honestly. Um, and I don't know that I have one for you. I mean, I think, you know, the, at minimum, what we can do is, you know, make sure that we're all having these conversations like we're having right now um, and, and, and letting people speak and, um, you know, not just um, aiming for diversity, you know, through what we've been talking about, but also diversity of, of, of thought and of opinion and of viewpoint and just making sure everybody, I think when everybody feels like they have a voice at the table and people just talk like human beings and have conversations, that we, usually we can arrive um, at, at a common ground and move forward. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know, man, I'm putting, I put you a little on the spot because this is what I, I think about day in, day out in my, in my work. Um, so I, I mean, want to not with everything going on right now. I know. Right. And so part of what we're experiencing right now is uh, I'd say socially is people realizing the system's not going to fix it. So now they're again, people put in the position where they have to, put their selves, their bodies, all of those things in the front line to create change. And I'd say, you know, we're in this space where it's like socially and professionally, what can we do people who haven't had these experiences to save people from having to not only experience it, but then also having to lead the change. So again, we'll keep it on the, in the professional side. I'll throw it over to uh, Steph and Nikki. What can, what can people do from your perspective uh, that would help so let's say like you know if we had um as many companies do tend to have white straight male leadership or the c-suite is almost fully dominated by people of of that group what can be done so that the people who are experiencing being marginalized don't also then have to be the ones at the front line of doing the work what could be done you know i'm i don't necessarily have a direct answer for that but i think one of the like I think for me, just coming from certain times and experiencing, I think one of the things I, like I always think about too is like, it's learned behavior too, right? Because it's, it's, we talk about like sea level and stuff, but you know, if we look at what's happening in the world, there's a lot of millennials too that have this very different outlook that's not always positive. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a learned behavior pattern and it's, it's I think the, the answer to your question is breaking that pattern. It's it, whether it's employers 
doing cultural training, whether it's, it's, you know, just like doing just, you know, I don't want, I don't want to go back to the whole education, but it's just, it's breaking that, that thought process. It's, it's finding out where it stems from, where it comes from, and then kind of educating your staff. I, I guess what we can do if, if it's happening in the workplace and taking it off is, you know, I've, I've always been a very relatively outspoken person and I would, I would, I would get myself involved. I would, I would, you know, if I saw that happen in, in a current workplace, I would, I couldn't help but, but stick my, my hands in it because it's just, I just won't stand for it. But I think mm-hmm. you, you have to get to the root of a problem before you can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just kind of like, oh, sorry, like, oh, he's, he's 50. He, he can get away with it. You really have to get to the, to the depth of it. So I know it's probably, it's an indirect way of answering your question, but it's, mm-hmm. it's such a huge, broad question so yeah i felt that was a really good answer because it, okay. i mean it's a, I'm, I'm not saying like solve all society's problems like this yeah. is a really hard question mm-hmm. um I, I that was a great answer steph what do you think mm-hmm. i i fully agree with everything she was saying i think a lot of um i think a lot of what is also kind of playing a role too is that a lot of people who i find that are in those roles also kind of grew up in an environment where you're not allowed to be wrong and being told that you need a corrective behavior or a pattern mm-hmm. of behavior mm-hmm. is wrong. Therefore you are a bad person. And cause the one thing that I've always systemat like always noticed across the board was whenever somebody, you know, behavior or pattern comes up to management that would, you know, be like, Hey, this is like, here's why this is like not okay is they immediately get their backs up and they immediately mm-hmm. find every reason not to listen to it because they think that it's an affront and an attack on themselves and that, you know, they're going to try and find every which reason to find that it doesn't apply to them, which I also find is really funny because I, as is like your subordinate or your employee, I have to be so good at you like dishing the lashes at me and I have to be like, okay, of course, everything yeah. you say is wonderful. So I think it is hard because I think it's a lot of like, you know, like you have to listen and you have to be open and willing to listen. And there is not really always a willingness to acknowledge, like I'm doing a bad behavior. Well, I'm not a bad person, so I'm not going to do it. It's hard. There's a lot of levels to it, but I think it's just like, you have to be encouraged to be wrong. Mm. It's, you have to be, it's okay to be wrong. And there's nothing mm. wrong with learning. And I think they don't quite understand that. Mm. Whereas like, cause they've, they've always been right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, they've no, always no. been right. So it's their, their whole lives have been in, they've gotten in this position, in this role of this, this superior because they've always been right. And they've always had this, this, exactly. you know, I'm, I'm right. I'm always right. Nobody can tell them that they're wrong. So then they're not wrong. So then, and then it just creates this, this infected sort of stream of work and it just never changes so sorry sorry to cut you off Steph. i'm sorry i'm just i'm very passionate about this so. no that's that's all the money that's yeah. that. mm-hmm. so something that stands out to me and and i i see this a lot is let's say and i'll use an example that um i feel it's like it's very accessible uh sexism in the workplace often women calling out sexism instead of men calling out sexism and you know, I think about this a lot, I mean, because I see it a lot, where it takes 
women putting themselves in further jeopardy by saying, hey, how, you're at, how this thing is happening is unacceptable. And then guys kind of being like, yeah, I back that. I, I agree with that. And that was always bothering me. And I get it. Like, I mean, I know it's scary. So from, from a guy's, uh, like a man in the workplace, it's like that fear of social death, that fear of being like, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, like calls out the other guys because I don't want to, I don't want to like not fit. And something I think about in the future for all generations, but especially for, for young generations, if there's something that I, I wish we could change, it's that men being able to talk to men about sexism without having that work to have to start with the people who are experiencing sexism. And so I'm using sexism because I think it's a very approachable space here, but I mean, that goes for racism, homophobia, transphobia, like all of the different things that are going on. That one of the things that I think is like, I think about a lot in my role and, and, I, and I encourage companies to think about is how do we keep, how do we change it so that the people who are experiencing the negative downsides of human interactions that are based in prejudice that we grow up in, we grow up with because of society and, and that's it. How do we create the kind of company culture where it doesn't have to be those people who are experiencing it that then have to take on the extra risk of challenging it? Because as I know, one of the people that's in this conversation, and you don't have to share it unless you want to, um, experience the downside of challenging a leader based on the hypocrisy of getting a training, but then seeing people in the company not actually living it, and they called it out, and they actually had a career bump. And I, I, I'm really interested in how we can make that change. And I know that the four of us here might not be able to come up with some answer, but I want to bring that up as like a tangible thought that I have about one of the importances of, or the, an important thing to think about into the future. All right, let's talk about loyalty, company loyalty. Um, I always laugh at this one. And, and uh, this goes back to something that was said earlier. Well, it's like, oh, but what if we train all these people and, you know, and then they leave. And there's this thing that you see always thrown around LinkedIn. It's like, well, what if we train people and they leave? And then the counter to that is, well, what if we don't train people and then they stay? Then we've got all these people who haven't been trained and we're stuck with this organization that's not full of people that haven't grown. Um, what it boils down to for me is loyalty. And uh, I remember the last job that I worked before I started my own company, I did not feel loyalty because they treated you like garbage. Like you were just treated terribly. And I was like, why? I'm just making this other person rich. Why the hell do I care about this? And it was a small company. But then you think of these really big companies and it's like, well, well, what's loyalty? Like, what is loyalty to working to this huge conglomerate? And I'm not saying that loyalty should or shouldn't be. But I'm interested from your perspective, what does loyalty look like for a younger generation to a company? Like, is there loyalty? What can companies do to create that kind of connection? Any, any of your thoughts on that and around loyalty to, a, to your organization? I'll go first. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an all or nothing thing for me. Uh, I, I approach loyalty to a company much the same way as I would to a person or in a personal relationship. You know, I'm going to operate under the assumption uh, that they value me and that they loyal me until they prove me otherwise. Uh, and I'm going to reciprocate that. You know, if a company um, is investing in my development, if, if their culture is a top priority, if they're, you know, trying to create a, a employee experience um, for, for the betterment of their employees, not just to be in line with, you know, industry average, as they'll say. Um, and if they're investing in acquiring and, and developing and retaining top talent, I, I'll be very loyal to them. But if they see me as just an employee ID number, um, you know, they're not investing the, 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 in, in my 
future and my development, the, the, the culture's toxic. I have absolutely zero lo- obligation of loyalty to them. Um, you know, thank you for the opportunity, but I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because you, uh, of anyone here, I believe you're the one who works in the largest company because BD's huge. And um, you, uh, in our experience, I've, I've found you to be very, very loyal to the organization. You, you're always looking how you can be involved more and more in the organization. So it seems like you've got a lot of loyalty to BD. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I work for a company that in, is very um, invested in my development. You know, that's how, how I met you, as you said earlier. Right on. All right, you know, Steph, I'm, I'm dying for your thoughts on this because, again, Steph and I both come from the punk scene, which is like notoriously anti-system. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm not putting that on you, Steph, but I will say that's certainly been a part of my career. Um, what about loyalty for you? When you're thinking about a workplace and it could be a small company, a large company, what does loyalty mean for you? And, and is that possible? I think it is, but I think so. Sometimes I say this and I feel like it kind of raises eyebrows with people because I have no loyalty to a company mm-hmm. until they earn it. They mm-hmm. think that right out of the gate that they deserve a hundred percent of like my time, my energy, my health to getting to their end goals. Um, with giving me scraps. So I've worked in places that were so, um, they expected my, basically what I felt like was indentured servitude a lot of the time. Like you can call, like I need to be able to call you at any time. Doesn't matter when or where there was no boundaries, but you need to be so grateful that you work here because you have this job with us. So now you have to, you know, worship the ground that we walk on but i'm gonna give you scraps i'm gonna treat you like dirt i'm gonna treat you like garbage whereas i've and when i'm at places like that i'm like i take pride in the work that i do so i don't go into a place being like i don't have any loyalty to you so i don't care i'm going to give you my honest best work but if i will pick up pretty quickly if you're a place that's not down to elevate your staff and your team if you're more interested in your own personal goals and your own personal, I say like gold stars to kind of show off to everybody else. Like I've already checked out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've worked in companies that were, there was such a, um, there was just such a universal desire to help everybody. You know, we all, we were a small like startup, but everyone that I worked with, we were all wanting to make sure we all reached the same goals together. And it wasn't about individualistic praise it was about group praise you know we did this as a team and that place it paid me the least out of any place i ever worked at and it's always been one of the best places that i've ever worked at and i was always willing to stay late work weekends work on my Mm -hmm. holidays if people needed to get a call like a hold of me i would come into the office later on like i would do anything for them because there was such a genuine care for me as their employee and like as just somebody like as a person and it's so Mm -hmm. funny that people don't realize that like just baseline respect is often not in a lot of these places. Mm. Uh, so I have no loyalty to anybody until they show me a reason to be loyal to them. Yeah. And you know, it's real interesting about that, how you're, you're like, Oh yeah, I got paid the last out of that, but that was the company I gave the most for. And of course, like this ridiculous conversation about millennials, like it drives me kind of nuts. Cause it's always like othering m- millennials. It makes people seem like these like, Oh, we've got this pack of rabid professionals that are going to be so irrational. It's like, I, I've never experienced that ever with, with anyone from, from this generation more. So I just, they just seem to, 
as a group seem to have higher expectations of a healthy company culture. And what's super interesting, like that you're willing to stay late, come in early, come on weekends, but it's based on being treated with respect. Yeah. But I love the idea that a company has to earn it. They don't just get it on day one. Like you're not like, oh yeah, your company logo, I'm getting that tattooed on me. You're like, no, you got to earn that space. But then when you get it, you get it. Uh, Nikki, how about you? You know, I was going to touch on stuff. I guess things really change when you know your worth, right? When you have that level of confidence and when you know your worth where it's like, and like Steph and Logan also touched on it, you, you deal with it. Working is like a relationship. You have a really, you know, you spend the majority of your day working with your colleagues wherever you're working from. So it's just, you have to have that mindset that, you know, it. I think it's it's ancient where people are like work is your everything and you you need your work to be able to live and you you know and people are so worried about you know oh my god what if I lose my job or what? and I and I get it and it's a huge stress for everybody but you know I, I there's I think for me somebody who sometimes suffers from anxiety it's like there's times where I'm like oh my god what's going on like a previous job I was so the the workplace had made me feel like they they had like a this perception that the culture was so great and look at everything we do. We have so much fun and everything. And in reality, I'm sitting there, I mean, like, I am so miserable, but they're, they're painting this picture of, of, you know, oh, we have so much fun. Look at all the things we do. Oh my God. Photos, 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 post, post, post. And, and everybody's like, oh my God, it looks like you guys have so much fun. And I'm like, this is the most miserable I've, I've, I've been. And it's just, <laughs> And, and you, but the problem is when, when a company feeds you this belief, it's, it's like, it's like, okay, growing up, you know, you have your parents and they tell you, okay, um, you know, you don't like fish. And it's like, you know, you grow up and you're like, I don't like fish. So it's, you, you have that belief, but it's not your belief. So I think there's a lot of companies that feed you this belief of like, look how great we are. Look at everything we do for you. And, and they, they kind of spoon feed you this, this aspect of, of you being happy, but it's, it's stopping and questioning, like, is this what I want? Or is this what I'm doing? And, and is, am I happy? And I think a lot of people actually don't stop and actually ask themselves from within, like, is this what's making me happy? Like I have a, I have a brother who went to school to, you know, be a teacher. And it was like this aspect of where, like, you know, um, you have to go to university, you have to do this. And it's just like, when you stop and you really ask yourself what you want to do, I think you'll really allow yourself to kind of go into that kind of a role. And like Seth said, you know, whether it's a low paying job or a high paying job, whatever, you need to do what's going to make you happy. And knowing your worth is really, really important, and especially how you deal with employers. Uh, I love that. So for all of you, like, what's your perspective? Is loyalty to a company like a fixed state or is it an ebb and flow? I'll jump in. I'll jump in because I think it's definitely an ebb and flow. Like mm-hmm. I think, cause there's also, there's also like the honeymoon period with places that you work too, right? There'll be places that are just like, no, we're like actually the greatest and we're the best and you'll love us so much. And they'll try and try and try. And then once you've kind of gotten to the routine of it, then they're like, okay, how much of myself can I show? Like, okay, now I'm going to kind of start letting these sorts of things slide. Um, one of the things that like I, so one job that I worked at, um, I'd like to consider myself like a pretty observant person. So like I notice my surroundings and I notice the people around me quite a bit. And 
there would be people who had worked there for years and years and years. And like, they would just do anything for this company that I worked at. And they were the most miserable human beings I have ever met. And not even in terms of just like miserable attitudes. Like I had coworkers who were 31 and looked like they were 45 because they worked 80 hours a week and never took care of themselves and never did baseline things because they were driving themselves into the ground for this company. I had employees who had legitimate health problems because of the place they were working at to prove to their company how loyal they were because if they didn't work the 60 hours a week, you know, that was going to be a red flag on them. I had employees who were like almost low key kind of proud that their marriage was suffering and that their partner was unhappy because this person was working like 90 to 100 hours a week and not available and was proud of being like, well, if she doesn't like that, then she can just deal with it. Like, you know, I'm, I was working at this place. I was 26 when I was at this company and I was like, I would rather have no money. I would rather work at a retail company. I would work at the lowest paying job than ever be anything like these people because they're getting paid so much money and they're going to work themselves to death and they're going to look at back at their lives and be like, I did all of this for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as you were saying that, I literally, well, two things. They were 40. They looked like they were 45. Uh oh. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Um, as you were saying that, I was like, oh crap, that was me in my last job. I was working like nightmare hours, like just like so miserable. Um, and I had to do it or else I would have been viewed as not like a team player. And uh, it, it impacted, not only did it impact my life, it impacted the way that I thought about myself in the world. And I'd say like mm-hmm. probably the worst version of who I've ever been in my life was when I was at that job. Like I was just not me, not like the best version. So that was really, it's really, that was very insightful. Um, and Nikki or Logan, like, what do you think? Like, you know, fixed state or ebb and flow? I think it's a hundred percent ebb and flow, right? Cause nothing in life is constant. So, I mean, you might, you might have a, a, a great thing going on with that company um, and be extremely loyal to them, but guess what? You know, companies get bought that changes the dynamic, or you might be extremely loyal to that company because you have a great relationship with your hiring manager or the people you work with, but you know, people get promoted, they take other opportunities and then that culture goes with them. Right. So, and then to Steph's point, you know, loyalty is earned and, and I think it's earned perpetually, right? It's not, it's not a one-time transaction. They need to, it needs to keep being earned as long as that relationship's going on. Oh man, I, I love what you just said there. Um, and it really does, it, t- it touches uh, stuff on what you're saying. Like it is not a transaction. Like you don't come in and like, you know, you get handed like your, you know, your name tag and then you hand over your loyalty to them. It's not this one-time transaction and it's like this kind of constant state. And I, I don't want to say that's the answer. Like that's been my experience with, with the answer, but it does seem like sometimes employers treat it like it's this, this transaction and like, oh, well, you're supposed to be loyal to us. You work with us. Uh, but before I go f- too far down that, Nikki, any thoughts on, on this one? I think, you know, it's funny because my initial was, was fixed because I'm really very happy and I'm, I'm helping create the, like the company I work for. I have such a huge part in, in, you know, where we're going, but it's definitely ebbs and flows because the, the previous company that I worked for for quite some time, I thought I was a lifer, you know, I think so it's like, and then there's this aspect of thinking I was happy, but you know, it's, it's life's constantly changing, you know, it's you, you 
I don't know where I'm going to be in five years, you know? So to say that I'm going to stay in the same, same position, like I love my job and I, I love my, my employer, but like, look at the world we're living in right now. Look what's going on. And it, it really stops and make you, makes you think about, you know, like all I want at the end of the day is just to be happy. And so as soon as that stops happening with a role that I'm in and it continues for an extended period of time, then I'm going to make a change. So definitely ebbs and flows. Well, and what's real interesting about uh, the idea of being happy is what makes us happy today might not make us happy a year from now. And, you know, if we go back to something that Steph had said earlier, like, oh, you know, I don't want a lot of money. I don't, I don't really care about that. But maybe at another point, maybe you do want a lot of money. Maybe you want to get paid very well for the effort you're making. And it's, it's interesting because like loyalty also has to, I, I believe, has to do with compensation and compensation doesn't necessarily have to be money. So the way that I look at compensation, I look at it in four different ways. Um, I think you're compensated by having a, a, the right relationship with your leader. Uh, you're compensated by being on a team that is like, I believe, like functions well as high performing. Um, you're compensated by how much money you make. And you're also compensated by the culture of the company that you're in. Like these are all things that you get compensated by. And uh, different parts of your career, some of those things are going to matter to you more or less. And sometimes it's a combination of things. All right. So if we're looking at, I think was we all agree here that um, loyalty is not a fixed state, but it ebbs and flows. And you know, Nikki, like, just like you said, I, you know, there was a time in my career where I actually felt it was a fixed state. I'm kind of like a, mm -hmm. by nature, kind of a loyal, like I'm, I'm loyal to whoever until yeah. I'm proven <laughs> wrong. But then I got, as I got older, I was like, no, you know, I think people need to earn my loyalty. And it was, it was a really healthy change for me professionally to make. So if we think of that, if we think of that, like it is, uh, it's not one transaction. It is an ongoing ebb and flow. Something has to be like constantly like nurtured. And I'd say rather than constantly earned, maybe constantly nurtured, like we have loyalty, but we have to nurture that. From your perspective, and I'll throw this out to anyone who wants to, who wants to lead the conversation here. What can organizations do to earn and then nurture loyalty with a younger generation of professionals who are coming up? I'll go. Um, you know, I think of a big part of that is a lot of, uh, I think they just misunderstand who we are. And when I say we, I mean like, you know, my generation or, or millennials or what have you. Um, and when I say they, I mean, you know, the people in leadership roles currently. So I'll give you an example. Um, I can't tell you, like, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm one of the younger members of my organization. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a, on a project or part of a small team. And, and when it comes time to uh, divvy out the task of that project, it's strongly suggested that I take the one that's most, you know, computer or tech intensive, right? Solely because <laughs> I'm the youngest and they think I'm such a, I should be a tech wizard of some kind. Um, and it's, 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 it's not just at work. I mean, I see it with my customers too. A lot of my job is, you know, having roundtable discussions with healthcare executives and leaders within their hospitals. And we support those discussions with audio and video equipment often. And if there's a malfunction or a glitch or, you know, can't get the slides to come up, it's like, hey, Logan, can you fix that? <laughs> so what I, I would, <laughs> what I would challenge, you know, leaders today would be to engage the younger members of their teams because I think they hear, hear the term millennial and they associate that with all the stereotypes that we've heard. You know, um, mm -hmm. they change jobs every two years. They lack ambition. They lack life experience from being sheltered. They have no work ethic, et cetera. Um, but I mean, I think the more you talk to them, you'll see that 
you know, it's not that millennials have no work ethic. It's that, uh, you know, most of us graduated college and entered the worst workforce, you know, in the midst of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that we lack life experience or from being sheltered. I, I, you know, most people in, in my country around my age probably mark their their adolescence as before and after the September 11th terrorist attacks. You know, I know for me personally in New Orleans, uh, Hurricane Katrina, you know, the destruction and then witnessing the rebuilding of New Orleans is something that I marked my early adulthood and has ripple effects uh, to this day of who I am. Um, so I, I think if, if they engage their younger team members more, they'll find out that maybe some of those stereotypes aren't true. Mm, yeah, that was, that was really powerful, man. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, Nikki or Steph? I think they need to remember that they were young once as well. Mm. You know, like at the end of the day, they were all our age at one point. And, you know, somebody gave them a break. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody gave them an opportunity, you know, because a lot of the times, like even these C-level executives who are, you know, six years old, they didn't go to post-secondary. Somebody gave them an opportunity to get them to where they are now. And for whatever reason, they're not following suit. And, and I don't want to say pay it forward because that's not, but they're, they, they've got this idea in their head that, you know, millennials, it's such a, such a term of, it's almost like a slang. It's such a derogatory comment to say. And everybody's like, I'm, right. not, I'm not this. <laughs> and, and people get, and it's just like, you know, there's an aspect of it where it's like, yeah, cool. I am. And I'm proud of that. But like, you're this it's just it's i think like i said they had an opportunity once and that's all it takes it's it's changing the way you think Mm -hmm. and it's 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 for something that so seems so simple it's so hard so well this is an interesting thing and again i love what you just said it's like it, it gets this like negative just like oh millennials it's like such a negative thing like what are you, what are you talking about like it, it it's i've probably never heard a generation of people spoken about with such fear like oh millennials like the millennial whisperer i'll never ever forget interacting with this person and just thinking how can you have that as your signature it's just so weird all right steph what do you think if we're thinking about how can we how can companies like earn and then nurture that that um loyalty what can what can be done from your perspective honestly i feel like a a big thing that is missing is mutual respect mm. you want never ending respect from me and you give me none um and i think that they need to treat it like a relationship like a two way street like if you want the best from me you have to be offering your best too you can't be telling me that like oh, you know, I gave you seaweed snacks as like a perk for this job. So you need to give me all your evenings and weekends, you know? Um, I want you to grow, but I want you to pay for your own growth. And I want you to do it, saddle it all to yourself, but I'm not going to give you an opportunity to move forward, Um, you know? Uh, And yeah, and even just like the, the millennial things. It's so funny. I had one coworker who loved to rag on millennials and I had enough at one point where I was like, you're 32. You're a millennial also. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I had to pull it up on Google to show the age range and like that shut him up so quickly. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like I, I don't need a lot, but like 
you know, if you just treat me like a person and you treat me with respect, that will really go a long way. Like, you know, the amount of times that I've been hired to work at a place for my role and I have, you know, I'm then being questioned on every aspect of my role because of my, because I'm young, because maybe, you know, I haven't been at the same company for 20 years like this person. And I'm like, fool, you work in sales. I work in design. Like, don't tell me how blue contrasts with one another. Like, am I here to be your colleague and work towards the same goal? Or are you here so you can kind of just keep flexing on me and like be super disrespectful to what I offer to you? Um, Because I, I think that they don't realize like, if you're going to keep making me feel like I'm not important, then I'm going to look towards the other person who's going to make me feel important. I'm going to go towards them. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because like across all three of these answers here, the thing that I just keep hearing is this like, hey, it's not a one way exchange. I'm not just here to learn from you. You can learn from me, too. You know, and I've got value I can bring. And it's not I'm not like a technology expert just because I'm young, but I do have a lot of things that I can bring to the table. Um, you know, everyone, this has been a great great conversation. Uh, you all added so much. And, you know, I know we, we went deep, we hit on a lot of stuff. And so as we're closing off, I just want to ask, is there anything that any of you want to add in as we're closing off any thoughts, any advice that you would give to like hiring managers or organizations? And I'll, I'll go one by one. So let's start with Nikki, you know, any kind of closing thoughts, anything you want to add in any advice you want to give to either organizations or to anyone in your peer group? You know, I, I, like I kind of just touched on it and I, I had said earlier, it's just, you know, everybody had a chance once, you know, everybody, everybody was in the same shoes as somebody coming out of university. And it's just, you know, I think it's just stop with like the discrimination. It's just look, like look deeper past like the, the, you know, surface level and, and just, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, everybody was in our shoes once before, and it, it has nothing to do with age, and it has nothing to do with with race or sex or anything. And just just look past that. Change the way you look at things. Change the way you think, and just just stop stop with the learned behaviors, and just try to be a better person. Because I guarantee you, you won't regret it. At the end of the day, you're not going to regret changing the way you think about something especially when it's so negative so that's that's my uh my (laughs) advice i love that no i think that that's really powerful like Mm -hmm. it's super wild the way that we you know a lot of us have come up with thinking certain things are good certain things are bad the blind spots we have and i'd say specifically for my generation you know again I'm, i'm 46 so um, I am, ex- I was expected to have a high level of education. And if you didn't go to university, you were screwed. And if you didn't get an advanced degree, you were screwed. And I went to, I went to university and I got a bunch of different degrees. And I can tell you that I use one of them and the other ones I paid through the <laughs> roof for, and I was straddled with crazy debt. And my story is a lucky one because I was given that chance that you talked about, but I wasn't, it was so wild. I had so many barriers put in front of me based on education. And some of that education absolutely has helped me. And a lot of it, like, I mean, I've got a lit, an English lit degree and I don't know what I can tell you. I've, I, I do with that in my day to day, but yeah, see, I, I'm, people. yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I'm, no, you know, just for my role, it's, you know, I'm the director of corporate communications for a mining exploration company. Mm-hmm. And I went to one year of school 
my my CEO, who was an he was actually um, he was a client of mine, and so I, I knew him for a while. He gave me the opportunity to to you know it, it's he knew I didn't have schooling, but he he gave me that opportunity because he knows what I'm capable of because he actually took the time to get to know who I was. So it's, it's as simple as that. It's you, you know, everybody gets judged by this piece of paper that they send in on LinkedIn or they send in on Indeed. And, and that's how people are judging you. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, why should I every single time I apply for a job, hide all of my social profiles, because I don't want people to know what I look like, you know, it's just, people shouldn't have to do that. It's, it's, but we've created we've created this society where that's the case. So it's just mm. changing the thought process that goes into hiring. But I think yeah. that's that's yeah. That's powerful. Like I, I just you know I'm thinking as someone who because I you know, I hire people for our company. Mm -hmm. um, I have people within our organization challenge my thinking all the time, and most often it's really good. Like, you know, like, Hey, thank you for challenging me on that. And even if that position didn't work out, if that person didn't work out, I'm glad that we changed the way that we do things. Cause maybe it didn't work out this time, but it definitely made us a better company. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Logan, what are your, what are your thoughts? Uh, any closing thoughts, any advice you want to give towards companies or towards people of your generation as you're, as you're coming up? Yeah, not, not much to add. I did want to actually get your thoughts on something. Mm. Um, I wanted to kind of keep riffing on this millennial uh, slang or this derogatory term that we we're talking about. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, right? We're laughing, but I really, I do think there are some, I mean, there absolutely are some real world impacts of that. And I think you mm. see a lot of it in the fact that, you know, the, the handing over of, of, of the keys maybe to some of these positions, the, it's just not happening. I mean, mm -hmm. it, in my country, if you look at politics, for example, current U.S. president, I believe, was 70 when he was elected, and which made him the oldest president in the history of our country. And then, you know, the, the two at buying for it right now are, I believe, 74 and 77. So again, no matter who wins, it's going to be the oldest president we've ever had in our, in our history. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's going on with that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Why, why are these leadership positions, why are they hanging on to them? Uh, and why is my generation struggling to break through? Mm, that's a really good question. From my perspective, it's two things. There is um, a whole, like the, the baby boomers uh, generation. Um, they're all going to retire it and they are already retiring now, but there's like going to be massive generational shift of positional power that's going to be happening and is starting to happen where a lot of people are, are leaving jobs. So that's, that, that's just part of it. There was like a huge group of people that were taking up a lot of space. And, and I don't mean in a negative way, but they were just populating roles and kind of blocking that. So a lot of that's shifting, but there's also a huge abundance of people who've been waiting in the wings to take those roles, which unfortunately might populate with them with the exact same profile of people. That's part of it. Uh, second is, I'd say, an inherent distrust of youth and new ideas. So you've got sectors like the tech sector where it's like, well, you can't keep young people out because they're the ones who actually have the ideas here, right? And so like you see that big change, but anything, not anything, but in a lot of other industries, um, you see a lot of younger people held down because it's like, oh, you don't know as much. You don't have the experience. You don't have the education. You just don't get it. Really, a lot of that is we don't trust you. 
um, we don't think you know what you're talking about, or we want the power. And if we gave you the power, what would happen to us? And I think a lot of that is that underlying, if we gave you the power, what would happen to us? And I just say like this time of social change, like, no, like people are just done with it. They're just taking the power and it doesn't happen in the work world. So it's not like people are storming into companies being like, I'm now the CEO. Like it, unfortunately it doesn't work like that, but we are seeing such a huge amount of social change that I think a lot of these systems that are based on not trusting younger generations or not trusting people from different um, uh, cultural backgrounds or people from different genders. It's like the ability of that system to keep people down is being diminished on a social scale. And I do believe you're going to see that in a business space. But one of the things that I, I really encourage uh, everyone of any generation to think about is, listen, these diversity and inclusion programs, like at what point do those stop being marketing for companies for them to be like, oh, look how great we are versus no, like how do you make actual change? So the reason I brought up people from the trans community uh, earlier on is like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to judge an organization based on like how many people do I actually see and that I'm actually working with that are of different backgrounds and you can have all the training you want, but it sounds more like it's just marketing and box checking. And I'd say that's like one of my biggest gripes about organizations right now. It's like, yeah, like that's cool that you can put that up on LinkedIn, how diverse you are. But if, unless I'm actually seeing that, then whatever, what are you doing? And the, the story that I'll tell before I pass it over to Steph is I was in a meeting last year. Um, with a C-suite, and of course I'll leave the company out of it, where I saw a leader. It was the one female leader in the room who gave this incredible presentation in which she was talking about her group, her business unit, all of the stuff they did around diversity and inclusion. And she did something that rarely is done in this space, that she actually created the metrics around it. Like through doing these initiatives, here's how much money we spent, but here's actually how it's going to drive profit for our organization because we actually do have the best and brightest. And it was brilliantly done, incredibly executed, incredible talk. Like Logan, you would have been like super proud because you under, you know, you know, based on the, on how I would judge someone on how they're speaking, like unbelievable. Every other person in that room was a, was a male. And every one of those males was looking at their iPhone or their iPad and was answering emails and just doing something else. <laughs> and afterwards I talked to the CEO and just said, Hey, like this is an issue. And that CEO said, Eh, well, you know, I'm not really in for that kumbaya stuff. Like we have to focus on it, but like, cause it's like the thing now, but like, I don't really care about it. And that was an actual conversation I had. So if we're talking about like, how do we break this barrier? It's like the people holding the reins in a lot of cases, they need it for marketing material, but they don't, they don't do it because they think they need it to be a better person or a better company or a better country. And that is one, of, I think one of the biggest issues about why young people in different different groups of people aren't having more power and more influence. Did that answer your question, Logan? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, you know, the sad truth is you're right. A lot of those, those initiatives, they're doing them because they're profitable right now. Right. And I think people see that and it, it really turns them off. And it's sad because some of those people might, you know, have been, you know, wanting to get behind, you know, whatever, what have you, whatever, whatever cause it is. But, um, but they see that and they know that they're doing it for the wrong reasons and it just feels gross and it turns them off from it. Totally. 100%. And the other thing I'd add into that is like you do this training and then you've got the people afterwards who actually need the training. They need to have their minds opened and they're the ones who are being like complaining about it or being bitter in the background. 
And we just ignore that. It's like, hey, no, let's engage with that. Like if someone's feeling upset about a diversity or an, a, an inclusion initiative and they're kind of griping about it in a corner, I want someone who looks like me, like a white male, to feel comfortable and being like, yo, let's actually talk about it. Like, I, I understand that you're upset and it's a different world. Let's talk about it. But this stuff isn't happening because people are afraid of youth. They're afraid of different ideas. That's one person's perspective. I just went on a big rant Logan, <laughs> that you set me up for, which I appreciate. Steph, uh, closing thoughts, anything you want to add in, any advice that you want to give either to people of your generation or to um, uh, organizations? Um. Yeah, so I would say that for people in organizations, like, y'all need to learn how to grow. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much expectation for me. And most of the time, I see very little effort to self-improve and to grow with me. And, you know, at some point or another, I think companies are going to learn that if they're so dead set on being stuck in their ways, they're going to miss out on incredible talent. They're going to miss out on people who care and are committed. Um, and all because you want to stick to this idea of something that was the norm 10, 20, 30 years ago, a norm that's changed now. Um, something that you almost have no data for it, no proof of other than your own set expectations um you know you guys gotta learn to grow with me because like if you want the best out of me i want the best out of you and uh for people in my age group as well you know i think we are really taught to be like we need to grab whatever we can get and you know we need to be so thankful for the scraps that people give us and maybe this is my own stubbornness maybe this is like my own pride but like I don't settle for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, if I have to choose to, you know, I'm going to be working for the rest of my life. I want to be working for, for people or companies that are psyched on me just as much as I'm psyched on them. And if they're going to treat me like garbage, like don't settle for that. You know, it's the same way that we don't settle for people who are shitty tasks and relationships. The same way we're not, we don't settle for shitty friendships. Like mm -hmm. if that person's going to act that way. You leave mm -hmm. and companies need to learn to think of it the same way. Otherwise, like, you know what, your competitors are going to crush you because they took on the chance with those other people. Yeah, I love it. I, I really like when you said, if you expect the best out of me, then I, then I need the best out of you. That's uh, like unbelievable. And all, everyone on, the, uh, on this conversation oh. had a huge smile when you said that. And like, it was like I, I, we're all with you. Okay, everyone, thank you so much. Um, you know, I hope that everyone got as much out of this conversation as I did. You know, being a, uh, someone who owns a company and, and hires people, um, I know that my own silos of thinking uh, can keep me from making the best decisions or being the best leader that I can be. And I need to hear from all sorts of people to get better and better and better. And so today was a great opportunity. So with that, um, I'm going to see all the rest of you in the outro and thank you all for joining. So thank you, Steph. Thank you, Nikki. And thank you, Logan. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks around. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, thank all you. Right. Talk soon. That was so awesome. And, you know, it's just one of those things that makes me really realize that we have to start having a video component of our podcast because if you could have just seen everyone on that conversation like the smiles the deep thinking it just was so cool to be a part of that um so again huge thanks to uh steph and nikki and logan for being a part of it 
You know, a big takeaway for me was when Steph said, if you want the best out of me, I want the best out of you. And if we're going to boil down all of this, like fear of the next generations, like really boil it down is that are we as older generations too afraid to change? Do we want this just to be a one-way exchange? Like, oh no, you come in, you work for our companies and you give us your best and we give you a job in exchange. No, that sounds like a terrible deal. I wouldn't take that. Instead, here's an opportunity that if we're bringing in people and we want the best out of them, where do we need to grow? Where do we need to change as individuals and as an organization? So this for me was a great step in learning some things that we could really do from a practical perspective to get better. And it is one step. So as we're going forward, I encourage everyone here, have these conversations on your own. Bring these discussions to the people in your organization. And as you're thinking about building out your next space for talent, try and engage that group of people in what you can do better. So thanks so much for your time. We'll see you on the next episode of One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.